0: Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su and the recent um, news of price hikes in imported rice by more than 30% has led to a surge in demand for cheaper local rice and thus leading to reports of an acute shortage in our local rice supply. In fact, Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim has even warned that legal action could be taken by uh, against anyone found hoarding rice. But what is actually fueling our problems with rice supplies? Is it something that's happening only here in Malaysia or is it also fueled by factors beyond our control globally so here to shed more light on this and help us understand how we can strengthen our agricultural industry especially our rice and paddy industry in Malaysia is Professor Datin Paduka Dr Fatima Mohamad Arshad uh, Research Fellow with the Institute of Agricultural and Food Policy Studies at University of Putra Malaysia. Hi Prof how are you doing today? Hi, thank you. Um, Now, maybe before we go into all this recent news of you know rice shortages and, and price hikes, um, could you help us to understand actually the landscape of rice consumption in Malaysia? How much of imported versus local rice do we actually consume?
1: In the 80s and 90s, depending on our self-sufficiency level, so if you uh, minus consumption, right uh, from production so the balance will be uh, deficit and this this is what we have to import so the level has been increased before it was about 30 percent and now because the productivity has reduced to about 3.6 metric ton per hectare so the production has also uh, reduced and our import has increased to about 35 percent so mainly uh, around one-third of our requirement
0: Mm. Um, how sustainable would you say that is that we import about one third of our, um, of our rice consumption? you know, is that a
1: significant dependence on imports?- Sustainable here yeah, is quite a big uh, term. Mm. You may look, it, look at it from you know the stability side of it, uh, the cost uh, that is incurred by the country, and uh, most important of all, the uh, psychic costs, you know. Uh, the moment India announced that, he, that, that they're going to kind of stop forty percent of their no, no sorry, so stop their white rice export, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it it, it sent panic waves not only to Malaysia but even to uh, producing countries such as exporting countries such as Thailand and Vietnam, and importing countries like us and uh, Indonesia and Philippines. We are we are all uh, panicked sick uh, because of that announcement. So that shows the importance of rice in our political and social fabric and, of course, in our daily life.
0: Hmm. So Mm. if we look at just our local production, right, how self-sufficient would you say we are when it comes to meeting our own needs? Is there a need to do better?
1: It has been static around 70 to 75%. After the Great Revolution in the 60s, 70s, we did quite well. We even reached 85%. Since then, it has gone down slowly, very slowly. And now it has reached to about you know 65%. What is that? Indeed, we could have done better. But we have uh, uh, our SSL has reduced to about two-thirds, yeah.
0: Mm. So I know that for decades Malaysia has had um, in place protectionist policies for rice and paddy for the rice and paddy industry. That's something that you've written um, about as well. Um, maybe, Prof, could you for for people who aren't aware of what's happening in the agricultural sector, could you give us a brief background into why these protectionist policies were put in place?
1: This is a very uh, interesting uh, uh, question. It, it is an it is a uh, you know a historical. View. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me share with you. I mean, I have seen the three major crises that the, the industry went through. Uh, the first one, the first one was nineteen seventy one, and then later mid eighties. But mid eighties was a bit different because of the low price of commodities in general. And then the biggest one, two thousand eight, and lately two thousand twenty three. As usual, price crisis. Uh, determined by imbalance of supply and demand. So in most cases, uh, price prices, when the price height, the uh, the supply is challenged. In the case of seven, 1971, it was because of the uh, weather problem in Russia as well as uh, US. I mean, the grain producers are having, uh, at that time, some <laughs> climatic problem. And OPEC was newly formed. So OPEC was experimenting with the market and they started with a high price of petrol, and that resulted in high energy price and therefore fertilizer price. Right, mm-hmm. so Malaysia had a, a serious uh, panic problem, and uh, that the, and the industry uh, responded by you know hoarding and taking advantage of the rice rice price increase by uh, hoarding, meaning they they kept the rice and wait until <laughs> the price went up and then they sell. As a result, there was a uh, uh, a kind of, we call it, artificial shortage in, in the local domestic market. So the same thing in 2008, except that in 2008, it was a bit different. The supply set was challenged, weather problem, and so on, among the producing countries, as well as grain producers, because rice is correlated with wheat. So when wheat is having a problem, it will affect rice. Mm. But the bigger issue was the uh, technical factors, meaning in this case, it was the... Uh, Speculators' activities, and these speculators are speculating in commodity futures. So that includes rice futures. So uh, the futures and commodity activities have increased tremendously because of the slowdown in the subprime market in the U.S. So the increase in speculative activities in the commodity market has affected the rise of price. For your information, in May two thousand eight, the price reached one thousand fifteen US dollar per metric ton. It was wow. the highest recorded in in rice history. In nineteen seventy one, is only uh the, the price only reached about uh seven hundred US dollar per ton, and and. Now, the current uh, 2023, the, the highest was around 670 plus per metric ton. In fact, it has gone down to 597 per metric ton now, mm-hmm. according to uh, according to uh, Bangkok uh, data. So, it, it's about the combination of supply and demand and also the technical factors, mm-hmm. but bear in mind that the most of the producers of rice, they are developing countries mm-hmm. and the marketable surplus or the surplus available for export is still very low. Uh, four decades ago, it was about 6% to 7%, but now uh, it has increased only 10%, but it is not enough uh, because uh, the marketable surplus or the exportable surplus for wheat is about 26%. Corn is about 16%, so there are enough... Uh, enough uh, exports available for mm. the world, but for rice, is highly vulnerable because it's quite thin, right? Mm. And bear, bear in mind that most of the producing uh, countries like India, Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Philippines, we do have uh, uh, significant portions of our operations are for consumers, you know. Mm. So during uh, uh, shocks or during uh, you know problems in the international market, we only uh, uh, we we go inward. Mm-hmm. Is our population first, our consumer first, our for consumer first. So that was what happened to India. They went to restrict the export mm-hmm. for the sake of their producers as well as consumers to uh, protect them. Inflation, of course. Uh, the second of I don't know which is first or second, but political motive. the the, the country election will be around May next year. Mm. So, we want to see a uh, recovery, you have to be until May, okay? So, uh, there, there are many factors. So, that's why uh, they, they call rice is a political, social, economic crop. It's very strategic to the population in Asian countries.
0: Mm. So, how has Malaysia, what sort of policies have Malaysia put in place to protect our rice and paddy industry then? Or have we even done enough to actually grow that industry over the decades?
1: Since the crisis in 71, Mm -hmm. right, if you look uh, into, I think, first militia plan, there was a clause stating that the farmers, the market has to be protected because, uh, uh, you know, the allegation of middlemen, they are profiteering from the market situation. Mm -hmm. So there was a need to control the market. That was the beginning of protectionist regime. Uh, for for Malaysia, that was in 1971. Then they set up the Lembaga Paddy dan Beras, the garden, or the Paddy and Rice National Authority. So this uh, authority was given full control. Surprisingly, full control in the industry, even to the extent of uh, making decisions mm-hmm. or any developmental strategies for the for the for the industry. And of course, uh, uh, protection means. Uh, the floor price was fixed, ceiling price was fixed. Even worse, in those days, there was no movement of price uh, within states, you know, and of course, other things such as licensing and so on. Over the years, uh, there were uh, quite serious governance Mm problems. And in in the 1990s, uh, privatization was the order of the day. So Mm -hmm. the government decided to privatize LPN and of course, uh, Bernas. Mm -hmm. So Bernas, took the state enterprise function from, from LPN in 1991. And they went to Bursa and listed themselves, and they delisted themselves in, I think, 2014. So the set, the policy set of the protectionism include mm-hmm. fixing, fixing farm level price, selling price for retail, import monopoly to Bernas, right? And the other indirect measures include uh, encouraging big meals rather than small meals, and centralization of uh, input, particularly fertilizer, to one agency. And, of course, the distribution of seats were assigned to a very small number of uh, distributors. Currently, it's only about 12. So, it is highly, highly uh, protected industry. Mm. All along the supply chain from input fertilizer to uh, seeds to machines or even harvester,
0: mm.
1: you know, so when you have big harvesters, big mills and small number of uh, seed supplier and centralization of fertilizer distribution and import monopoly, so you can imagine uh, uh, what kind of market are we having is highly concentrated. Whereas uh, the small farmers, there are a large, large in number and they mm. are just uh uh, small farmers is less than two hectares so it's uh, s- small farmers versus <laughs> versus uh, uh, a big players hmm. uh, at all level of supply chain We do have to go
0: for a quick break now. On the show with me today is Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Muhammad Arshad, Research Fellow at the Institute of Agricultural and Food Policy Studies at UPM. We are talking about the recent issues surrounding rising costs of rice and um, reports of shortage in our supply of rice, especially to meet the domestic needs. Um, We'll continue this discussion after a quick break. So keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su. And joining me on the show today via Zoom is Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Mohamad Arshad, Research Fellow at the Institute of Agricultural and Food Policy Studies at University Putra, Malaysia. She's joining me to shed more light on the recent um, concerns over the um, potential shortage of rice, especially as um, the price of imported rice has been hiked by about thirty percent. People have been um there have been reports of people panic buying rice and thus leading to a shortage of rice, um especially cheaper local rice, in the market. Now, Prof, before the break, we were talking about protectionist policies that were implemented, um that were started to be implemented back in nineteen seventy one, right? But you know, the situation right now is very different compared to what it was like then fifty plus years ago. Are these policies still relevant now or is it time for us to reconsider um, policies that are in place to help the
1: rice and paddy industry? Very good question. The premise for the intervention then were farmers who were exploited, farmers uh, lack information, mm-hmm. right? And the middlemen are exploiting the situation. Right, so to address that, that's why the uh, government introduced the state trading enterprise, the Magapati Negara, and later, Bernas. Right, mm-hmm. but over time, uh, you have seen that uh, the the landscape has changed. Farmers are not dumb anymore. They can access internet. Mm -hmm. They are just like you and me. They access uh, information and so on. They have seen their colleagues in Thailand, colleagues in Indonesia with new technology, new varieties and they are demanding that you know why are mm. why are our varieties are uh, very slow in terms of uh, coming up into the market some farmers say uh, average uh, a new variety is between 9 to 13 years you know mm. and some studies from uh, kazana mm. supported that and some scientists say the seeds that we use uh, the variety that we use uh, almost similar for all type of soil you know and that is not good right and we are not. Productive in terms of seeds. I heard from my friends from Vietnam. Even the farmers there are able to come up with uh, their own variety every every month. You know, they're, they're quite active in that sense. I'm trying to show that the premise for interventions are no longer applicable, right? Mm. And. Uh, uh, the access to information is being democratised to everyone. So instead of uh, controlling, uh, deciding for the farmers, they should enhance the farmer's skill mm-hmm. in making better decisions based on the information they have, right? And also, I think with ICT, it has made the landscape for marketing uh, more or less, what the you call it, level playing field for all. You know, if, if you know how to use the uh, uh, ICT platform, you can, you, you can buy and sell, or you can even import, you know. And because of the industry is being protected at all levels all these years, because the, the industry has been protected for half a century, mm. based on experience from other countries or based on data, because of the too much control, too much insulation, too much protection, the, the main result is de-industrialization of the industry. Deindustrialization means there is no growth. There is growth, but, but we have done the, the, the calculation. The growth is about less than 1% per year in terms of area, in terms of production. Even now, the productivity has gone down, mm. right? Even our self subsidy labor has gone down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, that, that is one of the effects. I'm talking about the combination of various interventions, okay? the market control, and of course, uh, uh Import monopoly and of course the activities of the the burners where they do lots of uh, joint ventures with millers and they accounted about seventy percent of the local rice supply and also the other symptoms include there is no SME development hmm. we only have rice ikan and what else you have tepung beras and probably bedak and that's all the product that we have after all these years when we could produce Hundreds of paddy and rice base, either for construction, for fertilizer, for health product, for beauty product, for baby products, for food and beverages purposes. But we have none. Because the industry is being multiplized from fertilizer to rice, nobody can come in, not even the farmers themselves. The mobility for farmers has been restricted, either vertical mobility or mm-hmm. horizontal mobility. So now is the era of smart machine so machine can be small, uh, means can be small, but you make it smart and it is as effective as, uh, as the other machine. All right. So that, that is what deindustrialization means. Low SME, low growth, and there are new entrants because of high barriers to entry. So these are the problem. You know, mm. uh,
0: and the people who are struggling are the are the small farmers, right? They are the yeah, ones who are farmers, stuck. small farmers.
1: Yes, You may think that small farmers are not educated, but actually, rice farming is a precision farming. You know, is mm. a science. Is a, a what do you call it? Like, informal science to the farmers. It has mm. to be done in the right time, in the right quantum, and so you, you, you may be surprised that, uh, you know, you think farmers are not educated, but they know the the plants uh in and out. Now we've also
0: heard that there are reasons um there are things happening at the global level that's affecting that's leading to what we're seeing now right I mean when I was reading reports about um how when when you know when Bernas earlier in September announced that they would hike up the price of imported rice by about 30% um you know there were reports saying that oh this is also because of factors happening outside Malaysia's control things like India's export ban um climate issues in other country global conflicts how much of the rice Problem or even crisis that we're facing now are due to factors happening globally beyond Malaysia's control.
1: I think the current uh, the current uh, artificial rice shortage is basic much uh, basically is much driven by the uh, the situation in the international market. Mm. As I said earlier, because of the thin uh, exportable surplus, and because uh, all the producers are you know developing countries and they are very concerned of their situation in the market as well as domestic. So it is highly, uh, what do we call it, political crop. It's a basic foot for, I think, you know, close to 1 billion people mm. in ASEAN. So, so it, it's difficult to maintain stability. I remember in 2020, at the peak of uh, COVID, the prices were about 400, 400 mm. US dollar per metric tonne. Uh, I was waiting when the crisis uh, would happen, you know, because uh, the effect of inflation, climate change, and I was right, it happened uh, now. So it's a combination of uh, many factors. Of course, those things, uh, uh, they are uh, accumulated over the years, you know, mm. starting with pandemic and supply disruption and, of course, uh, the result of uh, and the war uh, that resulted in high increase of fertilizers, high increase of transportation, and then suddenly uh, the COVID uh, mitigation stopped. We don't do MCO anymore. Suddenly mm-hmm. demand increased and there are, there are not enough supply, mm. right? Suddenly everybody wants to go out and eat outside and there are not enough food, right? <laughs> because, uh, because we have been under MCO for two years. You know? mm-hmm. So we had inflation problem. Now we are having inflation problem. And the, the, the lack impact of the supply disruption is still now.
0: Mm. Let's talk mm. about solutions, Prof Fatima. You know, um, I was reading over the weekend the Pertubuhan Persaudaraan, Persaudaraan Pesawa Malaysia, they released a statement um, raising their concerns over the problems in the rice and paddy industry. Um, some of the concerns they raised were um, lower prices of local rice, rising cost of production, um, concerns over potential cartels. A lot of these things we've, you've addressed earlier. Now, they've suggested that ceiling prices of local white rice be raised from two point six ringgit per kilo to 3. 3.5 ringgit per kilo, um, while also raising the floor price of raw paddy. Um, what do you make of raising prices, um, Prof Fatima? Do you think that's a feasible solution in
1: the long run? Yes, I'm sure you have heard of uh, United Nations recommendation in 2021 that you must uh, look uh, at the at the food sector or food industry as a uh, food systems. Mm-hmm. And then, if you want to change, it has to, you know, encompass or. or to, Take into account the various subsystem or elements that made up food system, right? So if you just address uh, one particular aspect, it won't solve the problem. But at, at the moment, because uh, uh, we need we need to do something so that to help the farmers, I have I've always said this to the government: until and when farmers are self sufficient, the country mm. will never get self sufficient. Mm. And I was surprised reading a report from USDA. 2023, they said the same thing. They said the farmers deserve decent income to stay in the food production sector. Without decent income, they would leave. So even rich countries are so worried about their farmers. So let alone us, when prices uh, increase, uh, we, we, we like crazy. So that means we are
0: poor. So what, what solutions would you like to see the government put in place then, Prof. Fatima? And And how far right, ahead, okay. how far ahead okay. do we need to plan? Okay.
1: Number one, we need to liberalise the sector. I'm not saying a total uh, liberalisation, but I propose what I call in Malay terpimpin or guided liberalisation, meaning you do it carefully in stages so that everybody will be beneficial benefiting from the labor process, right? Mm-hmm. So, but since Brunas uh, have a, a concession, their concession are extended up to 2031. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think the government is daring enough to, to do the, the, the structural change. But we can do a small, small change that will uh, affect the farmers. Number one, it is high time that we increase the price of rice, all right? The last price, uh, the carbon price, 2 ringgit 60 cent, was set in 2019. So mm. it's already how many years already, right? So it, it deserves a higher price, all right? The same thing with uh, farm level price for paddy. The truth is, the cost of production of paddy is very, very expensive, mm. right? The fertilizer has increased by 200%. The cost of labor has increased. The cost of uh, uh, pesticide, I heard, is 1,000 ringgit per bottle. Imagine that. Right and of course a uh, uh, cost of harvesting, right mm-hmm. and so on. Not mentioning the cost of environment and the cost of post harvest losses. The wheat harvester machine, the post harvest losses at the farm is twenty percent. So when the farmers sell the paddy, they are uh, they are deducted for for low quality twenty percent. So how much how much uh, are the farmers are getting? <laughs> Probably about you know sixty percent of the photo uh, receipt, All right so we can we can we can start by uh, by as you say uh, increasing the price to show to customers mm. consumers it's not cheap to produce price the producers deserve better prices okay the other possible thing that we can do is for example uh you can we can for example allow the farmers to to sell seeds you know mm. or uh heavy varieties because these are uh, veteran farmers, you know, they have been farming for two, three decades or two, three generations. Don't tell they me they are, they are not good. I'm sure they have uh, they are very experienced. I mean, you can ask the farmers in the kitchen, you know, uh, they, they go up uh, to see their paddy at three o'clock in the morning uh, <laughs> to make sure the paddy are good. So mm-hmm. to that extent, and I would suggest that the, uh, the ministry or the government uh, abolish all taxes on machines. And parts for agriculture mm. so that machines are cheaper. Does have to be big machines, small machines. Okay. Not only small machines, but I would suggest that government give grants to the permola or startups to make it uh a smart machines, mm-hmm. right? Or unmanned machines to help the farmers to improve efficiency and also to reduce costs. So abolish import duty and also uh uh, on small machines and make it smart machines okay mm. and also fertilizer yeah. you know fertilizer you open up the monopoly right because of people like you or people like me uh, new graduates to go in or the young wants to come in to come up i remember somebody wants to propose a blockchain you know and he, he was uh, frustrated because everything is controlled you know the, the, the type of thing because uh, it deters innovation it deters and mm. So, fertiliser should be opened up so that the farmers can join. You know, the farmers enjoy selling online their rice, right? I'm sure they enjoy also sometimes they discover new variety. They discover padi, uh, padi wangi or is wangi. Mm. They want to sell online. Allow specialty rice, that. right? Yes, yeah, specialty rice, right? And also, uh, uh, so the, the, the meals, it mm. need not be that big. The size of meals is, uh, is a choice. It's not compulsory to be paid. And there are many small meals in Amazon.com or Alibaba. Again, abolish the import duty and make it smart. You know, I mean, let the farmers monitor it, but just by telefo- uh, telephone or whatever. I think so uh, so we need we need uh, what they call it the ICT application there right mm. so these are little little improvements that make the farmers happy and make their income as as, as I said earlier until and when they are self-sufficient the country won, will not be uh, self-sufficient and I was a bit uh, taken aback when uh, somebody from Gdda was saying that those farms in the city should be converted to industrialization. Mm. But he doesn't realize, or oh, that politician doesn't realize in Japan, there are petty farms right in the city, Osaka, mm. you know, or even Tokyo. The advantages are the city dwellers can buy rice from the farm, right? You can see the rice they are selling. And it's good for the farmers as well. It's selling direct to city dwellers mm-hmm. like at a higher price, you know. And of course, you like to see how the, the rice is uh, planted and so on. Mm. And these are high-quality rice. And so that there are win-win. Uh, Just okay. very
0: briefly, Prof. Fatima, you mentioned Bernas's um, monopoly and they hold that concession until twenty thirty one. Do you think that's something we need to work towards um, when that time comes? Because there have been calls for their rice monopoly to be broken or phased out by tw- by twenty thirty one. Yes, twenty thirty one. We
1: have about eight years. Mm. Okay, think give us five years. Uh, you know we can come up with a good policy already. You mm. don't need to, to wait until twenty twenty one. Along the way, there'll be more shocks. You know, the, the the international market is not going to be that stabilised, that stable because of climate change. Climate change is a huge concern, right, for a lot yes. of farmers. Very much so. Very much so. And now it's El Nino. Mm. So some scientists, some scientists are saying the extent of impact of El Nino in ASEAN countries is about hundred percent. Whereas in it's India, it's about 60% okay? mm. because we are surrounded by sea
0: and so on. Mm. I guess um, then to wrap up, Prof. Fatima, you know, we have Budget 2024 coming up this Friday. What would you like to see um, being allocated, being f- prioritised when it comes to the agricultural sector, especially when it comes to rice and paddy production?
1: Uh, as I said, abolish uh, all the import duties of mm-hmm. machines related to agriculture, so that small farmers can utilize them, abolish their import duties, and give grants to uh, startups to help farmers with all sorts of apps, you know. So once IoT is uh, in place, then you can go into, uh, you know, internet marketing. Then you can go, once this is established, you can go to blockchain. This is a pre- preparatory for blockchain. Once your blockchain is efficient, mm. is uh, transparent and it's equitable, for everyone. So, abolish uh, uh, import duties on machines, small machines and parts. Number two, uh, grants to small uh, startups or formula mm-hmm. to come up with all sorts of apps. It has to be done quickly. Regarding drone. I mean, they're, they're used uh, uh, to help farmers. Uh, and also, the allocation for R&D. Mm-hmm. According to FAO, so in the future, 70% of productivity comes from R&D. It's not land-based. Poland, Israel, singapore they have proven it. Technology can produce food. So we need not only a new ecosystem of R&D, right, but also more, more research to come up with new varieties. right? And varieties not only is manageable, Actually, in Sabah and straw they have. In Sabah, they have, what, hundreds of uh, varieties which are not explored. Mm. Well, of course, they, they are heirloom varieties, which, which are quite sensitive. You have to be careful also. Mm. But we need to study them, right, to study them so that we can use them for uh, future production. Uh, so with, with many varieties, they can they can do uh, market segmentation to various types of consumers. So we need to strategize to towards them. We must improve our production and the goal is to be self-reliant. And the best way to be self-reliant is to be able to consume enough for consumption, but also to export. And we we can do it. Mm-hmm. Number one, we have uh, enough scientists. Right? We are number three in Asian in Asian. Yeah, Asian in terms of number of scientists per million population. Mm-hmm. We have enough natural resource endowment: land, sunshine, water variety, right? And, it, 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 you know, what, what it needs is just a political commitment, getting researchers to work closely with uh, with our farmers. And we have the models already. Mm. Vietnam, we have the models. We have model in Thailand, even in India. In India, the water irrigation is highly, highly efficient. With mm. little or very low water footprint. Ours is one of the highest uh, in the world, you know, <laughs> because our system is very old. Mm. 1970s system. So, this is sort the of thing that we can include. Oh, I have so much to say. <laughs> it's, a, it's
0: definitely a discussion to be continued in the future. Thank you so much for joining yeah, me yeah, today, yeah. Prof. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for listening. I've been speaking to Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Muhammad Arshad, Research Fellow at the Institute of Agricultural and Food Policy Studies at University Putra, Malaysia. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suan and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the VFM app.